0: it works It works. Uh, we're in the future now
1: three, three people it's, a, it's the devil's triangle yeah <laughs> it's a drinking game yeah for sure totally a drinking game who who ever said any different yeah. yeah not me
2: okay so um i don't really know how to do this um do you guys have anything you want to talk about before hold the dark or do you want to just like jump right in well, I don't mean, know if I've
1: ever uh, I don't think I've ever talked to Jordan before. Is this not you introduce us? Oh Instead shit. Okay. Being...
2: Hey Dave. Dave, this is Jordan. Jordan, this is Dave.
1: What's up, Hi. dude? How's it going, How are man? are you doing? So you you know Osborne. I guess that's some sort of endorsement. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I'll extend the courtesy uh, the other way
3: there. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> That is the correct answer. <laughs> uh, I don't have anything to talk about other than this movie uh, unless there's, you know, unless there's something else. Let's let's not discuss current events any more than
1: we already have. Well, usually we, we always wallow in social media current events. We're real pieces of shit on here. <laughs> I don't know if Osborne's upset about anything.
2: All right. So we should definitely just talk about Hold the Dark then.
1: <laughs> okay. Fair enough. <laughs>
2: All right, so um, this is cool. Well, this will actually be our – Can I update this real quick? Yeah, of course.
1: I, just want, I saw you guys' text. I mean, I really enjoyed the movie, and it sounded like you guys were talking about something you really hated. Um, I, was, I was excited to talk about whatever that might be. Okay. Because I didn't get the whole text.
2: That's cool. Uh, but before we get into that, uh, does anybody want to give a synopsis of Hold the Dark so that people who have not seen the film know what we're talking about?
3: I really want to hear a synopsis of Hold the Dark.
2: Okay, I,
1: can, I could try to. I, I think that I might have the same issue Jordan might have, where I'm not sure that I have the right synopsis. But I can give it a shot. All right, give it a shot.
2: I'll, I'll 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 fill in the gaps if I feel like there are some. Yeah,
1: please please jump in and tell me when I'm interpreting something wrong because that's really possible. So it um it seems to be kind of um, story of. A, uh, a wolf-possessed woman who, um, well, I guess we, we don't start off there. We we think that the kid gets abducted by wolves. It's an Alaskan, single mom situation. Her son vanishes one day. From our perspective, she calls up the author of a, I guess it was some sort of wolf-killing book. I didn't get that part. Mm-hmm.
3: They didn't
0: but
1: really explain uh, it, but I you got the idea that it was just a book about
3: wolves.
0: Mm-hmm. Not, uh, not
3: like, not yeah. like I kill wolves. He was not like a
1: rampant wolf killer. Right. That's what was weird. Cause she says like, uh, you know, she's really stuck on a moment in the book when he kills a wolf. And I thought, is this like, if this is the wolf whisperer book, that's a weird chapter in the wolf whisperer book, you know, <laughs> but if it's a, if you write thrillers, maybe that makes sense. I don't know, but he comes to town and he finds out that uh, it's a much darker situation. She's, wearing masks and creeping around the house at night and trying to get him to choke her during sex. And then uh, in the morning, he wakes up and finds the kid's body, and he's been strangled. So the police show up. They're like, let's find the mom. She lost her mind. Cut to Iraq, where the dad is He's like a one-man slaughterhouse. He's a very scary, large, monotone dude. Skarsgård, yeah. He's a Scars... Yeah, and he's got that... Uh, did you guys ever see the remake of Straw Dogs? No. No. It's not It's not terrible. I mean, it should be terrible, but it's not really terrible because it's got... That Scarsguard is the main villain kid. Or I shouldn't say kid, but he's so weird because he's got his dad's face, that other Scarsguard, but on this hulking body. Mm-hmm. So that, he's a giant. He's a huge dude. So he's scary. So we got him uh doing, you know, war atrocities. And then shit it's weird. The um it's revealed that there's some sort of like windigo type infestation of wolf spirits in the town or something. And the dad we think he's coming back to kill her, uh and go on a rampage, but the dad seems to maybe he's got a wolf in him because he goes on they start slaughtering civilians. And that's when I'm even though I was enjoying it immensely, I'm not sure I followed exactly why that rampage was happening he really wasn't that it was something to do with the wolves right like the wolves were it was like a wolf versus civilization plot started to take over the very simple revenge against the person who killed my son plot okay is that what you guys got
2: yeah i mean okay so basically i i jive with what you are saying the movie is about sort of but I think you're kind of touching on, in a roundabout way, maybe the first issue with this movie. So what Dave is saying is correct. Ostensibly, it's about a nature writer who flies to Alaska based on a, <laughs> a handwritten letter from a woman who claims <laughs> that, that her... but
1: somebody needs fans, right? Yeah. He needs more fans. Nope, right. A
2: plane. Yeah, exactly. So this woman writes him a letter and says, my son has been... Uh, abducted and mauled by wolves, will you come to Alaska and uh do something and so he does, and a little bit later in the film, it becomes a little bit apparent that this sort of main character might be going to Alaska to kind of get in touch with his estranged daughter, which I feel like maybe a shooter an email dude i don't know yeah um <laughs> but so so what you're touching on. Wait, before I get to that, I just I kind of want to flesh out what you said. So, yeah, so the dad is in Iraq, um, comes home from the war because he gets shot in the neck, which is uh, alluded to be a kind of mystical occurrence because apparently he was supposed to die there based on some strange uh, native witchcraft that was going on in the village in which he lives. So he comes home, finds out his son is dead and begins a murderous rampage that has n- zero sense to it um he's not really killing anybody that is in any way responsible for his son's death and towards the end of the story when we get to the spoiler part we'll talk about why but the nonsensicality of his uh murderous rampage is kind of the i guess at the end of the movie it's kind of the point of the movie but okay so i kind of want to double back now get back to the beginning and this is a movie that starts off with no coherent why. And I I don't know if I've ever actually watched a movie, good or bad, that has ever so kind of boldly started off with a premise that was kind of like a shrug. And like, eh, yeah. go, go with it or don't. I don't know, bro. Whatever. But uh, Jordan, do you have Watch anything to say about that?
3: Bit. Well... I... It, it, first of Go all, I, I, I want to preface this uh, by saying something we should have maybe said right away. was This movie is directed by Jeremy Saulnier, um, who made the very good Blue Ruin and the very, very good Green Room. Yes. Um, sure. And, and so if, if I can just talk about the first, I, I mean, I don't know if this is getting too far ahead, but I, I kind of want to set the stage for when I sat down to watch this last night because I sat down uh, with my girlfriend Megan, who was very excited to see this film. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Because she liked
1: well, you, Green you Room. Did, she liked- you did better than me, dude, because my my wife bailed. Oh, <laughs> so I don't know I'm how you did. how not- how'd you, how'd you sell it? <laughs> well, no, she loved Green Room. She loved. Uh, she literally
3: texted me yesterday and said, Hey, did you know there's a new Jeremy Saulnier movie? We should watch it tonight. And I'm like, Well, guess what? We have to, because I've promised to uh, discuss it on a cast of Pod. <laughs> so, um,. <laughs> So you watch a movie and first of all I don't know which came first him directing this film or him starting to work on season 3 of True Detective
2: Oh you're about to get oh. to something that is 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 exactly oh, one of my main points but I, I want I want I you to continue I didn't think about that It is but totally True Detective I didn't, even, I didn't even put that together
3: Yes you know the first two Jeremy Saulnier movies are are like total punk rock Yeah and and mm. exhilarating and fun and just from the very beginning of this film, there is there's there are things I enjoyed. I did not hate this movie, to be clear. I was I was I I was wanting something more from it than I got, but that mm-hmm. doesn't mean I do think this is a perfect candidate for this podcast because this movie is almost good to me.
2: Yep.
3: Sure. Um, yeah. and but the worst part of it, in my opinion, are the first fifteen twenty minutes. Yep. And the fact that n- nobody in those first fifteen minutes he he shows up at her house based on a letter, which literally nobody would ever do. Mm-hmm. And then he is speaking to a woman who, even before the thing I'm about to talk about, is like nuts. Yeah. Like just insane. And she says things that, again, appear in True Detective. And it's just like, you know, the whisper of the wind is the truth that's in your spine. Yeah. But like, but without nearly that much inflection. The love you <laughs> know
2: is the love that you will always feel. That kind of shit.
1: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and, I, I bought it more than normal because of the Alaska setting. Like, if, if they start saying, when they say that in True Detective and they're, like, in New Orleans or they're in just some small town, I, it's a little more pretentious. But for some reason, I was a little more on board than you guys were at the beginning because they made it seem like they, he was in this alien landscape, you know. <laughs> um, but no, I don't sure.
3: know. But, and then it's she comes out naked in the wolf mask. <laughs> yeah and 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 then i uh, you set, said set, set, set
2: the scene a little bit please
3: well it's so they've had their conversation about you know her son has been taken by the wolves and he's going to go find the wolves and then i uh, i guess they, they bed down for the night she, he kind of spies her while she's taking a bath so there's already there's this weird sexual energy to it but then he just goes to sleep on the couch and wakes up correct yeah. and yeah. she like comes out of her bedroom naked uh Riley Keogh or her body double because you don't know if it's her body double because she's wearing a wolf mask.
1: That's a <laughs> genius loophole. That's such a good loophole for actresses to not,
3: not have to, to get do. naked.
1: Yeah. Like if you threw a yeah, throw a wolf mask and you can have every one of them use a body double. <laughs> so many movies could use that. Go ahead. <laughs>
3: To, to get to something you were saying that i'm not- I'm not sure I disagree with that I'm not sure about is you said and so she then slithers onto the couch and presses up against him so that her her ass is to him and and she grabs his hand and presses it to her throat like choke me, but I don't think they're they're not fucking are they
1: no no, they're not no I think technically that's that's called the Alaskan hello <laughs> <laughs> it, it, because. It see, it didn't seem that out of place to me. It seemed like because she was in the tub and she was talking like she was talking to wolf ghosts or something, you know. The old so I, the old
2: Alaskan handshake. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I actually went to Wikipedia to see if they had had sex because I don't know about you guys, but I thought that it was going to be a setup where the, the dude comes home from Iraq and he's like, "Why did you come here and fuck my wife?" Yeah, because um, yeah. I because I, I couldn't tell either. I couldn't tell whether that had gone down or not.
3: But so we 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 cut from that, which instantly, you know, uh, my girlfriend Megan is, is just like, "Why is she naked? Like, no man, you would never do a movie where a man just comes out naked wearing a mask." I don't know about never, but she has a point. Um, and, and but she was still with it. And then we go to Iraq, watch Skarsgård kill. I don't know how many. Uh, soldiers, and then interrupts a rape that is, that is just, you know, it's just a rape, and, and, and a, a soldier's raping a lady, and Skarsgård puts his cigarette down, and goes in and stabs the guy four or five times in the side, and then gives the woman the knife, because like this is the closest they can get to empowering a, a woman is, yeah. she doesn't save herself from being raped, but... Skarsgård lets her finish the job. Yeah. And that
2: the was point. so ugly. It was very ugly. And I, I got I to gotta wonder, actually, I mean, Megan Blair is in this movie later on, uh, which makes sense. But the actor who plays uh, the rapist in this movie had a pretty mm-hmm. decent role in Green Room. Like, he was actually a speaking character in Green Room. And I okay. just, I wonder, um, he was the one who was going to run away with the murder victim, right? He's the... Mm-hmm. No, no, no. Uh, That's that's a different actor. No, I think that I think the rapist was the same guy, right? Like it was the guy. I I've got IMDb that. You you
1: you think his part is bigger somewhere that there's a a longer script with that guy? Well, I just I just
2: I just I I, he looks exactly like the other guy. So like my whole thought was like I can't imagine. Like I feel like the rapist role is something that gets taken by uh, somebody who's really hungry for for work. work. And yeah. and not the guy who like just had a speaking role in the previous movie. He's like, yeah, I'll do I'll do the rape part because that's the only part that yeah. this uh, character is. It, it, have you IMDB it? it? Am I accurate or not?
3: Well, I will tell you this that that I just want to make sure we're talking about the same guy because you're not talking about Mark Webber, are you? I think so Mark Webber. You're talking about the character in Green Room who is like the good skinhead who's going to run away. Yeah, isn't that him? Mm-hmm. No, that's Mark Weber, and I worked with Mark Weber. Uh, he was he was Bud White in the L.A. Confidential pilot,
2: and he was not this person in. All he was the not. Dark.
3: He was not the rapist in this movie. Fucking looked like him. Um. No. Now I'm looking at the IMDb cast, but they, they, I don't see a role called
2: rapist. I just got owned by some real Hollywood shit. It's like no, <laughs> yeah. I know the I guy. I, hate- I know that I know the guy, motherfucker, and that was not <laughs> him. <laughs>
1: I think. Yeah, I think that's a definitive loss for you. Yeah,
2: that's <laughs> cool. I'll well, take it. I'll take, I'll take my help. on the show.
1: Well, yeah. can we can we talk about Iraq a little bit? Because that sequence, um, th- th- they kind of turn the lights on in the movie right there. It's all really dark and it's all really true detective-y. and then it it feels like an entirely different movie. And I don't know. I could have used. I don't know. I don't know. I have a, a lot of mixed feelings about not just the rape thing, which played like a like a miniature version of a shitty story. You know, here's a <laughs> here's a rape revenge tale done in three seconds. You know, that's that's not good. That's, like, uh, everything that's wrong with those kind of stories. But then, like, the there was some trippy moments where, did you guys think that he was going to shoot the guy who was taking the selfie of the dead? I did, dead, yeah. Uh, I did, yeah. The, for I, a minute, yes, I thought so so, yeah. oh, that, yeah. that would really raise the stakes. Like, you, I just thought that was going to be one of those moments where, you know, and that that gets him back home. So when it went to... This little mini platoon moment where he's sticking up for locals and he's, I don't know. It just, it was a weird, I don't know. That whole, that whole section, um, especially for the section that kind of, like I said, the the movie activates its bright skies, you know, and it's got, it's the first death that we see. Uh, It's a weird place to sort of reset the movie. Um, Maybe I'm missing some message about war. You know, uh-huh. something bigger than that. I don't
2: know. I, don't know. I, I just want to throw in real fast. The actor who played the rapist is named Connor Baru. And if you look at him on IMDb, l- looks like the guy. It's an honest mistake. I'm not. I'm not <laughs> going to be held responsible for this.
3: Let's see. He does. He does. Uh, he does look the same. I. I can see it. I see how you
2: did there. I yeah. see what you did. Yeah, but um, uh, could good. Oh, go ahead, Jordan.
3: Well, first of all, I, I want to. Before we go. Full on into Iraq, I want to, if I didn't finish this thought, was that after the after the rape scene is when uh, my girlfriend said, I'm not watching this movie anymore,
2: mm-hmm.
3: and, and left the room. And I, I have to say, I do not blame her one bit, No. Um, given how women were portrayed that far into the film. And to, to be honest, nothing that bad happens again in the film, but there's nothing about the portrayal of women. This was a very dude movie in a way that makes me go, oh, it's, I mean... It, it might
1: as well just have a "Not for Birds" sign on the bottom. Yeah, maybe that's what uh, that's what I'm touching on a little bit with the Iraq thing. Is what you're talking about is it felt really top loaded with ugliness. Like the movie, even though there's a huge slaughter at the end, that felt weirdly um, triumphant for some reason. <laughs> I don't know why. It was kind of like a like a mini Heat mm-hmm. master, but it, but for the beginning to have. So much like it felt like it was going to be a different movie. felt um, it was top loaded with a lot of grim shit. So I can see why people would tap out right away. I uh, I didn't know
3: anything about this movie going in, and so I will say several of the plot twists worked for me. Um, And so I, when they went to Iraq, I was just, oh, is this movie going to be set in Iraq? Like, was this just? Mm -hmm. um i like i had no idea how much time and then we leave iraq never to come back and you go oh you know i think you could have excised this part of the of the story and probably since they filmed it in morocco saved a huge amount of money
2: yeah no i agree i feel like um you get the idea that this guy is an insane killer and i actually think that it the the movie might have worked a little bit better if he just sort of appears right yeah if he appears with that like yeah, you know, bandage on his neck and he knows that his son is dead as soon as he kills those two cops because there's a scene after um he returns where he's in this uh desolate alaskan morgue and he's kind of um, there to identify the body of his son and he has a, a scene that i think was actually really effective where he sort of talks to the body of his uh deceased son and then he goes outside uh our protagonist, as much as he is, which I actually have some thoughts about that. Oh,
3: I want to talk about that too. Um,
2: leaves. And then, uh, Skarsgård just murks the cops that are there. And I think that if that scene just existed as it were, without the Iraq preamble, I actually yeah, in a way yeah. think it would have been more effective. Cause you would have been like, what the ever loving fuck is going You're on? Right. It would have felt more a green room in a way.
1: Right? Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. I totally. Yeah. It's, uh, I think if the, what they're trying to do I don't know, there's, um, it's kind of a stew of manly shit, right?
4: So Mm -hmm. you've got
1: got bow and arrow shit, you've got, you know, hunting wolves, you've got man's man kind of moments, and the Iraq thing just felt like another ingredient in the stew of manly shit, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, for the people that enjoy that kind of thing, it's kind of like the movie Out of the Furnace, which has to be, there must be a checklist of, like, manly shit. Or or what I was telling, uh, I said to Osborne the the Frank Bill checklist of (laughs) macho shit. Yeah, yeah. Out of out of the furnace is is just like it, where it's full. Here's here's some bare knuckle fighting, you know. Here's some hunting, you know. It's like somewhere there's a checklist, and the other movies by this director didn't feel like they went down a checklist, but this felt like it was. I don't want to say pandering because I really I like the movie I think a little more than you guys, but I think it was. It didn't cast as wide of a net. That's what people kind of tapped out early because it, it does feel like it's for dudes. It's a, kind of a dude movie, you know. I did. I did take a few notes
3: while I was watching it, so we, you know, in case we the conversation ran dry, which of course it won't. But um, when he was standing over his son's corpse, I, I, I wrote down this phrase. I wrote down "grim dark" and "grandpa's deathbed," and. <laughs> Uh, and, and and you guys know what the concept of grimdark, right? Like gr- grimdark is like an internet phrase, kind of attacking anything that is just completely dark and completely joyless. And and to mm. me, like that, it's that true detective mood. And and why I wrote down Grandpa's deathbed is because uh, I get a lot of my uh, ideas of masculinity from from my grandfather. who was a uh, you know from the Ozarks, and he was a prison guard who made knives in his spare time, um, but grandpa and this is the, you talk about manly shit was grandpa told me a dirty joke on his deathbed and uh, the reason i bring that up is because there were there was one joke in this film and it and, and it was like a wet fart of a joke yeah um it was so grim and so like and, and to me again it, it's it's such true detective prestige tv stuff and there are things i like i think just to, this is parenthetical at this point we should come back to it Jeremy Saulnier's uh, violence is amazing. I still think yeah. he yeah. he still yeah. has that. It's always in camera. He, he, it's always just part of the shot. He never cuts right when the bullet hits. He stays with it. Um, he stays while you're stabbing somebody. He always stays with mm-hmm. it in this way that I think is amazing.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, so and and that's why the gunfight was my favorite part of the film. Mm-hmm. We can get to that later. But like at this point, we're, we're, we just have we've gotten to a place where a guy is standing over his son's corpse and people have been murdered and there's been rapes and weird mystic masks being worn and, 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 and everybody is sad and the guy hunts the wolf and down and you find he, he's just watching the wolves eat a baby wolf.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, and then, correct me if I'm wrong, does not kill the wolves. No. He goes, no. He just goes out there and goes, yep, there are wolves out here and then walks yeah. back. Um, Which kind of
2: nothing... like goes back to what the, why it, are you here? What are you doing? Yeah, he
1: kind of bumbles around. I have a theory about that guy. I don't know how, um, if you want to wait for me to do my deep dive into who that guy is, I have a theory about who that guy is. Guy yeah, I'm let's, hold, let's, hold, let's hold
2: that. Let's put a pin in that, yeah.
1: <laughs> I have a very okay. meta
3: thing about, about that guy, but go on, go on. Oh, well, he just said to
1: put a pin in it. Oh, yeah, well, I mean, says, let's go God. on with, like, uh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, my theory is just, okay, it's, I'll do it real quick. You know how there's a green room and there's a blue ruin, right? So I've always – I've been predicting for a year that the next movie would be a red something. Mm-hmm. So I was really sad. I was sad that there was not the word red in the title. And I started – as I was watching the movie, I, you know, I, I, want, I wanted to imagine that there was a title. There was an alternate title somewhere. And I started looking up wolves, okay? So there's, a, there's the gray wolf, which is the Alaskan wolf, the big-ass, famous, dangerous wolf. With the long history, that's the wolf that's featured in this movie. It's in the, in the movie The Gray, obviously. And there's another wolf out there, I guess. And it's, it's a smaller wolf. It's the only wolf that's in North America. And it's, it's endangered. It has no real home. It kind of wanders around. It's smaller. It's more coyote-sized. It's not quite wolf-sized. It would be out of its element if it was taken up to Alaska with the big gray wolf, right, which is kind of like this guy. You know what that wolf's called, dude? Is it a red wolf? It's a, it's a red wolf. It's, it's a fucking red wolf. This movie, I'm convinced, was called the Red Wolf. I cannot. I don't have proof of it, <laughs> but I just want to say, I just want to get it out there that this movie was supposed to be called the Red Wolf, and it would have completed his Primary Colors trilogy. I like anyway, it anyway. Right. I think like that. Um, I mean, I don't know. I don't. I just think that. You know, anyway, go ahead.
3: I mean I don't know what it is so I mean I was just saying like this this movie is so unrelentingly grim in a way that like the the punk rock of his other two movies even blue ruin which is not what I would call a chuckle fest is like
1: somehow more lighthearted than this. Mm-hmm. So you don't feel like it fits into it shouldn't be part of a trilogy. No, it, I, it I don't think feel so. like it like it's not as fun as those
3: other two movies. Well he also wrote the screenplays for those other two movies, didn't he?
1: Yeah. Yeah, that, uh, Macon, Macon Blair, is that it? No, 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 no. Uh,
2: uh, Sony wrote The the Blue Ruin and Green Room. Macon Blair wrote uh, this one. Yeah. So there's uh-huh. there's a different screenwriter here. But what? but Macon Blair also did I Don't Feel at Home in This World anymore, which is probably the most lighthearted of every movie that we've talked about so far. And I, I, I just I don't understand. I do feel like there was a kind of a true detective parasitical attachment to this because it did it, it, it like when jordan mentioned the true detective thing that was what i thought when i was watching the first at least 20 minutes of this movie where i'm like everybody whispers everything it's either a mm-hmm. whisper or it's a growl and it's like some dumb bullshit fucking like yeah,
1: i turned the subtitles on did yeah. you turn the subtitles I too? should have
3: cuz <laughs> I know there's going to be a few things you guys are going to tell me people said in this and I'm not going to know they said it.
2: Yeah, and it's like but it's it's one of those things where
1: uh, uh, well the, they whispered you might have missed it. They they were whispering where are the red wolves? <laughs> <laughs> but it's
2: Here's one of those things where I think that um it's the same mistake that true detective has made in both seasons which is um thinking that by having characters whisper and grumble semi-profound things. That's actual profundity. And uh, the movie doesn't... The movie seems to want to get to that end in the first 20 minutes. And I think by the end of the movie, I think we have a a pretty solid, almost good film. But those first 20 minutes are just like... I I feel like there's two different camps here. Like, people who got through that and people who didn't. Uh Uh-huh. Um, I would agree with you. It? It, it, go ahead. Uh, well, I, first of all, this is off topic, and
3: I apologize because I want to get back to this, but um, have either of you is ever it seen... Wolf related? A, no, as no, it's, the it's True Detective related. <laughs> um, God damn it. The, have you ever seen the, the Seth Meyers talk show sketch uh, True Detective or Fortune Cookie?
2: No. <laughs> no.
3: I highly recommend you watch it, and all I'll say about it is if I ever get owned as hard as they own... Uh, the the writer of True Detective in that sketch, I would quit writing forever. <laughs> uh, so you guys now have a mission if you choose to accept it. But like, uh, no, because it's exactly that. It, it, it's it's pseudo profound things delivered like this, and and um, and, and you're right. It, it lets up a little bit after those first twenty minutes, but it is it's never that far away. The the scene, and not to jump ahead, but the scene with like the Indian hunter. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. I don't know what that scene was about.
2: Uh-huh. Um,
3: the fact that he kills that guy—don't uh-huh. know why he does that. Yeah, no reason. <laughs> um, no reason. Every word spoken by the mystic Indian woman, which mm-hmm. was almost borderline racist. Well,
2: um, we can get to that later. But I, I have a feeling that this movie is actually—and I'm not a fan of this type of critique—but I feel like *Hold the Dark* is actually very racist. So, yeah. I'll hold that for later, but go ahead.
1: Is it one of those things where it's, it's racist because it's trying to embrace the cliches of that culture with all the wolf mythology? Like, is it, is, Or do you guys think it's, it's ridiculing the Native Americans? Or do you think it's trying to celebrate them in a really clumsy, embarrassing way? Well, I
3: mean, I, do you want to have the conversation now? We can, we can, we, we can, can talk.
2: You know, actually, yeah. Uh, why not? I feel like we've actually we've set up what the movie's about, so we can we can hop around now. I feel like it's actually we don't have to go through the movie chronologically. So I feel like we can well, we can, well, can jump out, let if me, we want.
1: I want to stick up for one of the Native American characters because I I would rather see his movie, and I'm sure you guys know who I'm talking about. His buddy yeah takes completely takes over this movie, and he does it in a way that. All the pretension just goes out the window when that cop knocks on his door. Mm-hmm. Like up until that point, we've had a lot of that moody, pretentious kind of stuff. But, again, I enjoyed that a little bit more than you guys did. And then a whole different movie starts up, and it starts to make me think, man, this is what, this is what the movie should be. Yep. And, it's, and there's something I like about – there's a lot of movies out there where you think you're following the dangerous guy, and it turns out his buddy is way <laughs> more dangerous. And right. I love those kind of characters. And this is was one of those things where his buddy. Your first clue is that he doesn't bat an eye at the murders the other guy commits. Yeah. And it's kind of it's kind of a lame comparison, but like Dogma was an example of that. But there's a lot of other examples where the Ben Affleck character um, is not the literal angel of death, but then he becomes the one that's ridiculously dangerous. And this had the same thing where that guy. It's like you don't. He didn't. He hasn't given a lot of a lot of uh, speeches or anything, or even he has one conversation in the car yeah. and then he just dominates that scene. And he does it. He has that line where he says, where the cop says, Hey dude, um, they asked me to, you know, come talk to you because they said, because I know we're not friends, but we are kind of friendly. And he, and he goes, Oh, you think so? Huh guy? <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, yeah. So, so this kind of, this, this scene is, um, um, the cops have sort of discerned, uh, that there is trouble, in Keylute, which is this sort of small Alaskan town, and uh, a whole bunch of uh, police show up—maybe what seven, eight cop cars—and all these cops yeah, show up. Enough to, sort to, of...
1: to where, if you've, if you've ever seen a movie in your life, you know a, a massacre is coming. Yeah, you don't exactly. To hire all those cars unless something's going to happen. And so, sort of the <laughs> sort
2: of the main cop character, who I think was maybe one of the—he might be the most well-written character in the movie. Um, I agree with you. He he walks up to uh, this native dude who's holed up in his house and is trying to talk him out of the massacre that is sure to happen. And then uh, after that doesn't work out, the native dude walks up to his attic where he has a – some kind of – is anybody here good with guns? What kind of gun is that? Some kind of minigun? gun?
3: It was some kind of fifty caliber machine gun, right? Like, yeah, that, and he is just,
2: just... he's just toasting cops. He's just like – like I've never seen that many cops die, which is where I started liking the movie. Actually, yeah, no,
1: it
3: was the, that was the best scene in the movie. Yeah, um, it, was. it was the it was the most like another like it was it was like oh this is what happens if you give Jeremy Saulnier just a little bit more money and hmm. that's the movie I want to see him make next is just that
1: right right I think that the 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 I'm not I don't know anything about guns but I think it was supposed to be the same gun. The other guy had in Iraq that he was lighting up those cars. Right?
2: Yeah, that's oh, true. Oh, good point.
1: So there's more of a there's more of a symmetry there. But he says "guy" to him enough times that you know I don't know, I don't know about you guys, but if you have a run-in with somebody and they start calling you "guy," yeah, it's you, over. you know that the conversation has gone wrong. It's right? curtains.
2: Yeah, <laughs>
3: yeah. yeah, he's not calling you dude. He's not calling you bro. He's calling you guy.
2: Especially yeah. with especially <laughs> with native dudes, it's like okay. that's the thing. Yeah.
3: There was one line that I thought was really funny and I don't know if it was intentionally funny but he delivered it like such a tough guy but there was nothing tough about it whatsoever which was just he said, "Oh, you know the cor- the cop says the coroner who got killed, he was going to retire to San Diego next month." And the, and the tough guy goes, "San
2: Diego, huh? Never heard of it." <laughs> I thought the same shit. I was like, "Yes you did, bitch. Come on. Of course you did.
1: You've heard of San Diego." Diego. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that, that's, a, that's a great
2: scene. And I, I think that, um, so I want to kind of jump ahead. So there's, um, this native dude is just mowing down cops with this assault rifle. And uh, I think that Jordan is correct that Sonia works perfectly in this arena because uh, Green Room is about a very specific building it's 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 an assault movie right like the, a building is under assault by people and other people have to like defend that that very specific area and so the centerpiece of this movie this big shootout is extremely uh well done right but i think that it's so interesting that after all this mayhem has happened our main character our our writer um Worms out from underneath the car That he's been hiding in Very sensibly right? And he goes to save a cop Who's been shot several times In, in, in the legs And he's sort of dragging this guy Through the snow And The Cheon uh, The native dude Has reloaded his assault rifle and, and has aimed it And our protagonist Just looks up at him And goes Stop it And he does right. He doesn't shoot mm-hmm. him And I kind of like that It's a good actually. That was a, that was, was actually kind of cool.
1: I was like, "Oh, he just yeah, it was one of those...
2: yelled stop, and he did."
1: Right. It was one of those. It was a call. I think it was a callback to the war scene because it was definitely a like a pathos of war moment. You're dragging your buddy, and he's his plea is just you know stop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All that sort of violence. You know, it was it was good. What I like is the the periphery aspect of the main characters. That the the giant set piece barely involves the two main characters the one's not even there and the other one is sort of an observer so it, it's just uh you know it's it very kind of kind of country for old menish you know mm-hmm. the way they dealt with they dealt very severely with main characters and other things just sort of these these dead end plots happened and you know I don't know if that's more McCarthy or or Cohen brothers but it did feel a little bit like like there was a like he was kind of channeling not a true detective which I hadn't thought of till you mentioned it but also kind of like far the Fargo TV show where it's very cruel it's a lot mm. of cruel stuff going on mm. yeah um, which well, is weird like... because that show is total fan fiction of the movie it's not it's like we're four layers deep of here's a stew of stuff you kind of know like you kind of we're used to a movie like this there's no real surprises in this movie if you think about it it's it's a combination of you know, it's got Wolfen, it's got Deliverance, it's got, um, like I said, a little bit of the bloodier Fargo or Coen Brothers stuff. It's just I – I don't know if that's – is that because we're all – like we've been around – we're we're too old to see anything but familiar plot lines reshuffled. <laughs> Maybe. I mean – well, so oh, go ahead. Sorry. They're I, either just... sa- oh, I was just going to say they're either satisfying or they're not you know it's like there's this stew that they stir it up and sometimes it's hot sometimes it's cold sometimes it works but it's like i don't every generation is going to be the most saturated by movies ever Mm -hmm. so every movie that comes out is again the most that particular viewer is the most saturated they could be by previous films every time they come out right so is this just? are we either satisfied or not satisfied by how they stir up these ingredients because there might be nothing new under the sun. This is full of so many things we've seen before, but oh. I liked it. So I don't know. I'm a hypocrite.
3: I know. I know. I, my personal theory is that I think this modern age places way, way more emphasis on novelty than other ages. And that I think in the past, it was much more accepted that you have seen something and it was satisfying. So why not see it again? And I think that attitude's closer to, to the truth about storytelling because I mean, you know, I, for me, like, I don't know if you guys saw Creed. Um, Creed was a pretty good movie. Um, and, and there's that part where Creed gets knocked down. And they haven't played but the Rocky. Well, he does, but they haven't played <laughs> the Rocky music in the whole movie. And, and then they finally, he gets knocked down and they do that, you know, dun, 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 And fucking goosebumps on my arm as he crawls back up. Sure. You know he's going to crawl back up. It doesn't matter. It works, and like, so I don't. I don't need for something to be like wholly new for it to be impressive. And yeah.
1: and, and, and it's so weird to that me, Creed's gone.
3: Sorry, sorry. Guys. No, no.
1: Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say Creed's funny because it it felt like it was doing something new, and like you said, it brings in that music. And now we've seen the preview for the next one. It's gone full sci-fi. It's gone full uh, bionic Rocky Four type oh. right, fighting the bionic russian so it's it's, it's like it, it didn't even at first it was a reboot that was going to try to maybe approach in a different way but now luckily for all of us stallone said don't you guys want rocky four again have him fight the bionic russian so it's gone <laughs> totally off the it's going it's going to be more satisfying i think because i got pumped when when it reminded me of those other movies i wasn't quite ready to have a whole new thing you know i wasn't i don't know
3: Anyway, anyway, and that's that's an aside. But I, my point is, yeah, there are familiar elements to this, but that's okay. I I was surprised a few times in the movie, and, and there were a lot of times I spent scratching my head. Um, and, and I still think he does. He also he uses CGI in a way that I find very hard to detect. Um, but I do think he yeah, uses a lot I of. I, I I could be wrong. I think he definitely had a few. A few squibs that were digital, and I think a lot of the car shots when the bullets were going through cars was CGI. But it's he's very spare with it, and he mixes it with practical effects in a way. Again, I just I I really feel
1: like he does violence very very well, and and that's he especially green room had the most realistic stabbings I think I've ever seen in a movie.
3: Well, would they slice that guy's stomach open in that?
1: Yeah. So he needs to talk to whoever's doing horror movies because they're not doing it right. It's I pretty. Agreed. It shouldn't. It shouldn't be the case that this guy who does these gritty neo noirs or whatever is doing these very realistic body damage. And the horror movies didn't didn't get the memo or something. <laughs> these horror movies look terrible right now. I
2: I want to kind of bring it back to that shootout just for a second. From a yeah. from a storytelling perspective, I think it's interesting. And I'll put a spoiler tag now. Right from here on out. Spoil, whatever. But um, in that shootout, that uh, kind of tense conversation that the cop has with uh, the Cheon, right? What, what's the cop's name? I don't remember. Anyway, they have this kind of like intense standoff. But when you get to the end of the film, the cop that we're speaking of is kind of dispatched at the end. Um, yeah. In a yeah. very and through the. extremely effective way. Like I loved that that happened. I was super stoked about that. But how do you guys feel about from a storytelling perspective, this whole scene that like in the context of the grand narrative, nobody at the end of it actually comes out living or going (laughs) on. You know what I mean? Like nobody in that kind of tough guy exchange comes out
1: of this whole, uh, bloodbath alive. Can I ask you guys what actually happened at the end with regarding the couple? Did they go off to live happily ever after with the body of their son? Is that what I saw? Um, Ooh, they dug him up. And they, I didn't they notice live that they part. Go off, yeah. They go off to be like a wolf, a wolf family together. So they they come out of it, right? I mean, that's yeah. that, when I was joking earlier about he, he's going to strangle her, and then she takes the mask off, and it's like, oh, it's But no, but no, too. but no. are no, great.
2: No, but, but but going back, I, I guess my very specific question is like having a scene that's very like kind of intense. I, you see it more in TV, obviously, because TV lasts for so goddamn long. So you could be watching mm-hmm. The Wire and there could be an episode of The Wire where two people have a very intense scene. And by the time you get to the end of the series, both those people are dead. Right. But in a movie, it's much weird. Uh, like, uh, how do I explain it? It's weird. You're saying to see it,
3: that. It, it's odd that 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 conversation is held between two people who aren't at, alive at the end of the movie, so even the memory of that conversation vanishes. Is yeah. That you...
2: it, 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 does, does that make sense? Is that weird? I don't know. It does. Well, think, make so sense. you're disappointed. You thought the cops should
1: have lived. You didn't. Or you're no, surprised no. that they killed that cop.
2: No, not even. I just, I just, I think it's very weird that a kind of like a, I think Tarantino does this more than any, any other director where two characters will interact and they'll both end up dead at the end. But I think Tarantino, like something like Inglorious Bastards, the scene in the, uh, um, the, the bar in the basement yeah. where everybody's oh, yeah. kind of talking for 20 Back. minutes and at the end Back. of it, everybody's yeah, fucking whatever. dead. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I, I feel like that's a weird story stylistic thing to do. I just, I feel like you don't see that very often. I don't know. I was genuinely surprised when the cop got shot through the neck because I thought like, Oh, we're well, spending they this that- much time, but you know, well, you
1: anyway. the uh, guy in the, the guy with the, the, the machine gun warned him that even if you make it you make it out today, your, your wife's still going to get the phone call. That's the very no country for old men. True. Like the true. inevitability. Yeah. yeah,
2: true. When he that's flips the point.
1: coin, it's like, it's like you're going to get away, but I'm going to kill your wife. And he's like, yeah, good luck, buddy. And then the very end of the movie, for no reason, he goes and kills his wife at the funeral. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that's some dark shit. True. It's like that, the that's a good point. Going, The train's moving, and there's no way for them to get off the tracks. It was was kind of a sad moment when he's like, your wife's going to get the call? She's going to have her. I thought that was a great line. She'll have her hand on her stomach. Yeah. Yeah. Like the the shock, the shocked phone
3: call
2: position. True.
3: But I also took hand on the stomach was also like a a way of telling you that she was pregnant, wasn't it?
2: Right. Yeah.
1: Oh, was it? I just pictured somebody getting a bad phone call and, you know, there's shock and, but yeah. I I thought,
2: thought I thought, I thought pregnancy immediately. And and she was. With a wolf.
1: Pregnant, pregnant with a wolf. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, okay, so so we're all kind of uh, chomping at the bit here to get to the third act. I can I can feel Dave. Uh, he he wants to get into wolf stuff, so we'll move no, into I think the I third already,
1: act. I already I already already blew my wolf load early. I don't know. I'm all wolfed out. So I feel like I after mean, after the, wolf, right? after the shooting by
2: wolves. after the shooting happens, uh, we are treated to the third act of the movie where the Iraq veteran dad is really kind of, he's going on his like super killing rampage at that point. I think he kills most
1: people. He's very, he's very badlands. He kills everyone. He has a conversation with for no reason. It could be somebody (laughs) who says, Hey, you know, remember that time when you came in and we bought boots? You remember that moment in the movie? And he's Mm. he's like, I'll just kill this guy. There's, Mm. it just, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like it's doing anything except, Proving that he's insane. And I don't think right. it's supposed to do that. Right. But, yeah, why did he kill?
3: He killed the Indian hunter because he put the mask on and now he's the wolf. Like, I literally... Right,
2: right. That one made the least sense to me at all.
3: Well, because he doesn't kill the woman who runs the inn and she's shooting at him.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think... But he, it, he kills, it, he kills, he kills
2: the guy who, who aided his sister-wife. Which, by the way, spoiler alert—that's also a sister, so, right? Okay. okay, I was going
3: to ask. That was a question.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm.
3: they. I mean, like, I, we we can talk about like specific scenes, but like, okay, so they what? There was a part right at the end when uh, you know uh, they're leaving, they're running away or walking away, and and uh, and Jeffrey Wright's just laying there bleeding, and, and Riley Keo the. The wolf woman, the sister wife, comes up to him and says, now you understand. And then I didn't understand what she said that he understood. But also, I also know I didn't understand.
2: Yeah. So he he well, had, a, had a dream. He'd had a dream with her in it. Uh-huh. And she said, look at the, look at the, um, fuck. She was like, look at the way the sky falls or something. And then when she leaves, she tells him, like, that's why the sky was falling. So it was like, it was a a link to the dream sequence. Oh, okay.
1: Well, I think, this this might be totally off base, but I think, in a nutshell, there's a wolf spirit, right? So the wolf was in, the wolf was in her kid. So she like strangled the wolf out of the kid. The wolf was in the, was in the dad. He took it to Iraq, where he was a space cadet, because he's kind of got this wolf in him. and, And that's why the guy, when he talked about, he came in with the boots and it's like he put the wolf in him to begin with. So when he sees her at the end, he like chokes the wolf out of her. That's why she wanted the writer to choke her, to like choke the wolf out of her. And so at the end, the the father or whatever chokes the wolf out of her, and she like takes the mask off him, and it's like, we're wolf-free. So they go and get the body of the kid who no longer has the evil spirit, and they go on to live happily ever after. So the way I took it, they seem to think, the movie seemed to treat it as they had exercised this demon. Not that they were an evil clan going off to live in the Hills. They were free of it or something. It poisoned the whole town.
2: I like that. I like that. I do want to ask uh, Jordan, as somebody who's worked on TV, is, is, is there actually that much thought going in, in a writer's room? (laughs) Is, is there, is, is, would, would somebody come up with that and then it be reflected in a script?
3: I think the the answer is actually yes, but it's incumbent upon, in my opinion, there's a huge difference between pleasurable ambiguity and, heh. Mm. and to me, and again, maybe it was my fault. Maybe I needed the subtitles turned on. This to me was, heh. Mm. Um, <laughs> like, I because I, I did. I just was like, oh, they just they're they're cool now, huh? I didn't get the you can just choke the wolf out. She could have just. <laughs> Verbalize that a little better to somebody at some point.
2: Um, I think that's I, a very I think that's a very Dave specific theory, which I like. I think it's good, but I don't. I don't. There's a lot of there's a, I think three, I th- there's
1: three distinct chokes, three distinct chokes followed by a release of a uh-huh. killing uh-huh. mode. Uh-huh. So I'm, I'd take it to court. I would stand. This, this is why. This is
2: why. This is why Dave and I have a podcast because he sure. watches this kind of shit, and it's it's nowhere in the dialogue. Nowhere. <laughs> like, in the film at all. But I really like... I do like that interpretation a lot, so...
3: I... Do you not think... Do you think he was going into that cave to kill her? Or he was always planning on... They were they were cool.
2: I thought he was going to kill her, and then he was kind of like... He got a little lusty when he was choking her. And was like, uh, actually... Here's we, what I
3: got to say is if ahead. you kill however many people he killed on his way there – I know his right. buddy killed more than he did, right? but he still killed five, six cops, right? And sure. not to be, feel too bad for cops, but still he killed a bunch of people. You kill that many people on your road to revenge,
1: and then you don't take the revenge? That's kind of rude. Yeah. Well, yeah. And it's also like he – it almost feels like he wasn't out for revenge, right? He was just – he's cleaning house of of witnesses. It's like, let's get rid of everyone involved because he wants to get back to his wife.
2: Well, or, or it's like, or or it's one of those things where like the boy has the wolf spirit and she chokes it out of him. And then when he comes back to Alaska, he's possessed by that same spirit. (laughs) And the (laughs) only way for him to not be possessed by that spirit was for him to meet up with his wife who somehow, uh, sexy eyed, the wolf spirit out of him. I think I that's solved it. I solved that's it. I solved it.
3: That's what a dame will do. That's what a dame will do.
0: There's
3: a, there's a couple yeah. of, of, of not to just go too wide here, but there's a couple of, of yeah. wider things I want to talk about, and, and one of them is the racism that we we started to talk yes, about and yes, yes. finish. And I, and I want to start it by asking if either or both of you guys saw Wind River. Uh,
2: oh, I I I, I absolutely I I hate that. That writer so much, so yeah. deeply. Yeah. Um, I I despise everything he's done, and I think nice. he's one of the worst writers uh, in screenwriting right now. So no, I did not see Wind River.
1: Is that they the, are is that the Sicario guy. Yeah. Yeah. I think
2: okay, I think I, I think I, Sicario I, I, is trash. I, I, I think every everything that that guy's fingers is on is just garbage.
1: I just want to say real quick I, I really like Sicario. I'll take my answer off the air. Thank you. <laughs> I love the first half of the first Sicario. The
3: second Sicario is is shockingly bad and I, I apologize for even watching it. But um yeah, I can't Wind River, it. Taylor yeah.
2: Sheridan, fuck you Taylor bitch. Sheridan. I hate you. Um,
3: Die. Wind River is a very similar film to this in that it is about a nature tracker who is brought in to help solve the murder of a native woman on a uh, snowy uh, reservation
1: uh, and it is racist you've got the wolf in him right now you're gonna have to you're gonna have to choke <laughs> him my man did my ma-
2: okay uh, If i'm sorry jordan but Yo, please. this guy did 12 strong <laughs> dome dome hold on hold on i'm gonna find some i'm gonna like he wrote Yellow, a, a show called Yellowstone. Fuck, I don't give a shit. He did both Sicarios, Wind River, and Hell or High Water. By far the most overrated movie on social media of 2017?
1: 16? Yeah, it was, I was, it was a very good Cohen knockoff. Those movies um, suck
2: I, balls. Balls.
1: <laughs> I don't think they're as bad as you say they are, but I are. they're, they're that bad your your passion they
2: they're, they're <laughs> that bad they are that bad fuck Taylor Sheridan I'll fight you bitch let's go
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, no i
3: i I tend to agree i don't I don't hate them as much as you do, but they're not great but uh, my my point is is that that Wind River is and I want to hear david why you were gonna say it's racist, but I'll say that Wind River is racist in the exact same way that this movie is, which is that it takes. Native concerns, native tropes, native storytelling, and then populates the film with white people.
1: Yeah, except for the set piece, which is uh, quite a—he definitely takes the stage. The Native American character dominates, sure,
3: for one scene. And 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 Wind River has um, a a very well-known Sioux actor who has one or two very good moments, but you're still not—you're still you're 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 taking their mysticism right that that woman who says witchy things and i think actually literally refers to herself as a witch um yeah. and you take this mythology of wolves which you know is is completely drawn from i assume native sources or at least is aping the shape of native sources in, in a territory that could have completely 100 percent been about native people and and chose instead to populate it well i, I guess to be fair um the the wolf hunter is Jeffrey Wright, who is a black man, but it's still taking all these native things and then and then not telling a native story at the end.
1: I, I see your point, but also it seems like it, the movie couldn't exist unless the white people invaded that space. Like they're they're being punished for that. I keep coming back to that moment with at the house because he said. The guy was like, Hey, we, we got you guys in indoor plumbing and he's like, Thanks, we can shit in, inside. That's great. That's awesome. And basically referring to this long standing problem they have with the white people, with the cops, that it's it's just a bad situation where we've been the white people have been encroached, right? So mm-hmm. the movie can't really exist if it if it doesn't have white people being punished. But I'm totally with you as far as the the spacey like you know the the fucking the, so they're they're like one rewrite away from literal witch doctors, you know, and well, uh, that's just not it's it, it had like it needed more of that Windigo. You guys ever see Windigo? Yeah, and yeah, I have the the, the movie. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's it's also about it has the the imagery of hunting and wilderness, and it it also has a possession by some sort of wilderness spirit but it never feels like it's pandering to the idea of what white people think of as native American, you know, mysticism. Instead, it's like a, it's a very grounded, brutal spirit. And this Mm -hmm. was close to that. This Mm -hmm. felt like it, it was trying to do that, but it like to kind of mainstream it up. It had to be more of the, you know, the, um, I, I like Wolfen, but it felt like a very Wolfen. You, know, you guys remember Wolfen from the
2: 70s? I, I don't I even, know Wolfen. I don't even know if it's like – I don't even know if it's that. Actually, um, what Dave was saying is kind of, in a way, swaying my opinion, which when I first watched it, like the, the the initial reaction is like, okay, you have all this native mythology, and, of course, the two Nordic literally siblings are the focus of the whole thing, right? Um, mm-hmm. But I think that the the key here actually might be with uh, the Indian hunter, right? Who he goes to see and eventually kills. Um, because mm-hmm. the Indian hunter talks about how when he was born and he was uh, – his father was a trapper and raised him sort of in this like wilderness area. So they were – his father was an alien and he's the son of an alien. And they go to this sort of alien – Uh, bald Colonel Kurtz guy who has adopted all of this sort of native magic and shamanism into his own thing and says, you know, Hey, when you came to me, I saw that you had a problem. I gave you wolf oil. Did it work? And that wolf oil clearly did not work. It just like made him more of uh, this killer. So I think if you look at it spiritually as, the the white people as these propagators of violence and carnage and destruction maybe the movie works a no little bit better right.
1: yeah, yeah even overseas they they're doing it overseas as well right?
2: right 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 that's a good point yeah so it kind of ties into that and i think that i i do think that what we're doing here is maybe uh giving the movie a bit more credit than it, <laughs> than it deserves um but I, 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 I mean, kind I, of, I kind of like that interpretation. Actually,
1: I'm sort of cool with that. Yeah, I mean, I, and I also like it if even if none of that was in there. I, this is going to sound hypocritical because I was saying earlier that are we just dealing with a a stew of familiar parts just repurposed, right? And I, I'm, I'm kind of okay with that if if you just took out one of those parts and took out all the the spacey mysticism, and just made it, you know, with the big moments. The, the, here's the you know, here's the the guy coming home to um deal with the loss of his child. There's a hunting with dad flashback. That's a big moment you've seen before. All mm-hmm. those work pretty well. And of course the big identify the body moment, right? We're we're all familiar with the moment where somebody identifies the body in the and more.
2: I thought that was really
1: good. I thought that was great. And they did it good. Yeah. yeah. They they actually. so if you can repurpose these things, um and to repurpose the mysticism just, work as well but if it was just a pile of of like the manly shit the hunting but the, the movie itself hunter, but but, I like, but hold on I like but the movie it.
2: the movie itself actually kind of works with these characters who have repurposed mysticism for these kind of genocidal purposes does that make sense
1: can, can yeah, I ask no, can, I, I, I,
3: I, this is a this is a literal um, question um, is this a supernatural film
1: yeah, totally. I think it is. Yeah, I think it. I think it tries to. It doesn't want to commit to it because it knows as soon as it crosses that road, it's a different movie. But mm-hmm. it's it's got to be. I mean, it's it's one. Of, it's being cutesy with it, but I think it is.
3: Okay. I think I the made alternative it...
1: is to... good.
3: Go no, I think I made it all the way through the movie without knowing that. And, yeah, and, I... and it's only in this conversations that I'm realizing that. Oh, this isn't about two crazy people. This is this is a literal mystical movie.
1: And I don't think I got well, that. Well, it's kinda of like the definition of, you know, what what is that? It doesn't have to really mean anything. Like the the line from the book The Exorcist, I think it's in the movie The Exorcist too, where he says there's a belief in evil and a belief that evil can be cast out. Which essentially means it doesn't matter if you don't believe that she's possessed by Satan. You still have to do the same thing to get rid of it. Yeah. you know you still have if people believe it she and if she believes it you're dealing with the exact same situation whether it's real or not that's what i think they kind of tiptoe around here
3: all right fair enough yeah i I have to say that that kind of makes me want to reassess how i took the movie um i probably
1: should have turned the subtitles on to be totally honest
2: (laughs) yeah well
1: the the alternative is so much worse right what if it the, with the mask stuff, I get really skittish about those stupid masks. The, the Purge, all of those incarnations have ru- just ruined creepy masks forever. Yeah. because I, I, I really liked – what was the movie where they put on, like, the fox mask and they, the people were under siege at the house? It's, it's, um, oh, You're Next?
3: No, not You're Next. you Next. Uh,
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, yeah. it was. You're mm-hmm. Next. That was probably the last time I saw that work really well. Uh, mm-hmm. That movie probably, fucking ruled. Uh, Yes, when these masks come out in this one, I'm thinking, oh, fuck, oh, no. So the supernatural aspect was kind of a relief because just the – I don't know. There's something about – at least this movie didn't have the goofy, like, purge mask head tilt. You always see where they Mm -hmm. turn their head – it's supposed to be scary. I fucking hate that. But it did have one mask moment that's in, like, every mask movie. Right after he shoots the cop with the arrow, he's up in the trees, and he kind of looks to the side and slides off to the side. There's a way that people with masks do that in movies that's just insufferable, and I'll wait for if you ever see it again. Watch for the way he kind of slides back behind a tree. It's that fake creepy shit that you see mm-hmm. in all those bad horror movies like The yeah. Strangers and The Purge. But so, like I said, I'll take Supernatural over, you know, the the whole like, would you want to play a game with the fucking scary, not scary mask shit? I mean, <laughs> fuck that shit. Anyway, <laughs> um, just just.
3: Looking at at my notes here, I, I wrote down one line, and I believe it was uh, delivered by um, delivered delivered by. What, how do you say his name? Macon. Yeah, uh, yeah. 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 Which is this is it just again just uh, uh, cherry picking the real true detective shit. Who ain't been shot by a woman? <sighs> <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah. What yeah. Do, well, what the whole the whole, of- the whole the whole Macon subplot is is really lazy. It's just dumb. I mean, the whole thing is it, dumb. For him being like, like a that? heavy metal, oh, and he's like fucking, he's fucking busting a rail, you know? Like the first mm-hmm. scene, he's just like,
1: he's getting fucking
2: lit, and it's it's just I a dude. I feel like it's in his
1: wheelhouse, though. Think about how many moments in these, how do you pronounce it? Solnier? Uh, so Sonier. 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 How many of his movies, and making Blair movies, is there a situation where, it's like he doesn't want his character to be like he doesn't want these mean guys to be like these real badasses or these soldiers he seems really concerned with having a moment in these movies and usually he plays that guy or i guess he didn't in blue ruin he ran into a different guy who played that same role where it's the guy who's like the crazy friend if you came knocking on the door he'd help you out Mm -hmm. i think he's really concerned with having a stand-up guy Mm -hmm. character in all Mm these movies because kinda it and in, in, in Blue
2: Ruin, in Blue Ruin, that that character in that in Blue Ruin, that character is the guy who played Biff in Home Alone, which I loved.
1: <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's yeah, a good... that was a great moment. Like yeah. the idea that somebody doesn't bat an eye. You come to the door with you you got you've caught all these bodies, and the guy's like, "Hey, I'll I'll help you out. Here's some soup." Like he really mm-hmm. seems to want to have those moments in all these movies, and I kind of this... appreciate that, even if, like you said, this this scene in this one was, it was weird to have it like. This guy is be he's executing all these people, and he did kill the guy, but it just felt arbitrary. It felt like a scene that didn't matter. So it must matter to him. Well, look, stabbing. I always, I love,
2: out. I love a good, I love a good stabbing through the cranium. I love a good uh-huh. like skull skull <laughs> he's, stab. Yeah, just
3: a, a knife through the fontanelle there. So was, because uh, it, it seems so
2: fucking <laughs> impractical. Like of all the things you would do, would you really just stab very, someone very, straight very hor-
1: down through the head? It's very horror movie. Very Mandy.
2: Yeah. yeah. But that, yeah.
3: that scene also had, as far as I can tell, the only joke in the film, and it's not really a joke, but it's delivered like a laugh line, and it doesn't work at all, which is he says, oh, I'll get you patched up and get some soup in you, and, and Skarsgård goes, what kind of soup? Which is, in that circumstance, technically a joke, because it's a ludicrous question to ask, and then he goes, Campbell's chicken, and Skarsgård goes, I want tomato."
1: Yeah, I like and, tomato. Right.
3: I like tomato, and, and his character at no point—it's—it's—it's it's it's an absurd throwaway. That his character has at no other point acted like a human being in any way that makes you think he has soup preferences. And, yeah, and it was a weird, yeah, it was a
1: weird. It moment.
3: was just a very odd moment. I thought, and it felt like that whole thing from the heavy metal to the Coke
1: again felt like a different Solnier movie. Well, yeah, one of the, the one of the first two movies. Yeah. I did laugh at the line. I don't know if anybody else laughed at this. Um, right before he killed the cops, after he identified the body, um, they're all standing outside, and the one young cop says, well, he, I heard that postpartum depression can go for years. And the other guy goes, <laughs> shut the fuck up, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't hear. I didn't catch it. That's awful. That's and I thought that was, I thought that was funny, because it's like they're saying, shut the fuck up, Mike. We're, this, is, this movie's about demons. We're not talking about postpartum <laughs> depression. We're, we're not going to... This isn't clinical, Mike. And then they died right after that. That's mm-hmm. uh, that's the time I laughed out loud. <laughs> There's a, one other thing about this
3: movie, if I may. That like so you know it was based off a novel. I do. Um, I read it. I, did you read it? Great, because I want to I want to put forward a theory, and then I want to tell tell me if I'm correct here.
1: We Wait. love theories on this show. We love them.
3: Is the is most of the story told from the point of view of the Wolf Whisperer?
2: <laughs> uh well i guess yeah. they, they
3: make sure he's around well that's that's I think my oh, i'm sorry that's that's my point is there's a certain kind of passive protagonist that exists in fiction because the even if they don't do anything they're very important because they're the eyeballs of the of the story
0: and sure, henry least, hill
3: henry hill a perfect example of that well, Henry Hill works is interesting because that's one time it actually works in film to transfer it over. But if you look at like every adaptation of The Great Gatsby into film, it never works. Right. It's, it's why I think there, people's attempts to turn Donna Tart's A Secret History into a film never works. It's because the protagonist of that book does nothing. He's just the right. eyeballs that you use to tell the story. And to me, this guy, um, Jeffrey Wright, felt like that kind of character, a character who might have been important to a novel because he was the one seeing these things, but right. really, with right. a few exceptions, could not have been completely absent from the film.
1: Mm-hmm. Somebody
3: else would have found that kid.
1: Right. Yeah, So the, the successful versions of that, I think, usually abandon it. I mean, like Goodfellas is the outlier, but if you think about, like, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, told from the point of view, again, if you want to talk about, like, Overly oh, simplified yeah. Native American mysticism. It's told from the point of view of the chief, and for the movie, they're like, "We're not going to do that," <laughs> you yeah. know, because it doesn't—it falls apart off the page, you know.
3: Exactly. Yeah. No, that's my point. That's how that character felt to me because I just—he didn't—he didn't do anything,
1: frankly. No. Uh, other than in the height. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, he was an observer. He was certainly an observer. Um, he was out of his league. He was a red wolf up in Alaska <laughs> around gray wolves. <laughs> I and think he was out of his
2: I, 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 I like that his character existed just for a few scenes. I I liked his initial sequence with the wolves where he's trying to uh, like unwrap the barrel of his gun uh-huh. to, to aim it properly. I thought that was, again, these are all like Sony eight, like where he's going to shine, of course. So there's that scene that I thought was really good. I also thought, um, that he actually was a good part of the big massacre shootout scene hiding underneath the truck because that's what Sonia does so well. He takes these kind of action set piece sequences. uh, He did it with Green Room and Blue Ruin. And what he's so good at is putting the everyman in those scenes, right? Yeah. And in that particular scene, I mean, there's no real heroes. I guess there could be technically if you wanted to get technical but like him hiding underneath the car is everybody is how everybody would react to that scene they're like i'm sure. getting underneath the yeah, fucking I... car and i'm gonna be here sure, and... dude,
1: I, I crawled under my car in high school and i got my ass kicked that was that's like a really <laughs> good place to be
2: <laughs> but then but then also like at the end i think when the cop finally gets killed because i i do think that there are more uh stories going on that are not his when the cop gets killed at the end, he gets the arrow through the neck. The writer gets the arrow in the chest, and he he, see, he witnesses the whole incestual wolf coitus. Um, I'm glad that it's from his point of view, because I actually don't – I, I, I kind of disagree, I guess, because I don't know how the movie would have hung together without that, I guess, pair of eyes.
3: I'm not, saying, mm. I'm not saying it would have. I'm saying I don't think you would have ever created this character. If you, if you were not working from a novel, you probably wouldn't have a character this passive. Sure. Who, yeah, it, it's good that he is the one seeing that because otherwise you would have to tell it from one of their point of views and then the whole game would be blown uh-huh. because you would right. what was going he on. He also,
1: I, I think his probably the biggest um, endorsement for his existence in the movie is his last line. Where he's in the hospital bed, and that's his daughter. You said says what happened, and he says I'll tell you. And then it cuts to black,
0: mm-hmm.
1: it, which I hated. By this, the way,
2: I hated that shit. I hate I that I fucking mind. shit.
1: Let me. I would have it a little bit just because it it justifies his existence as an observer. So he's one. He can document everything that happened. He was the one that was there. But mostly, I like it, or at least can defend it because. Um, I don't know. I grew up in the eighties the with a lot of movies where a lot of heroes at the end did a lot of crazy shit. And then somebody is like, Oh my God, what happened? And then they, they have a quip, you know, they're like, Oh, I'll, I guess I caught some traffic or like the worst situation was in die hard 2, where he saves the day. Right. And his wife comes up and she's like, Oh my God, what happened to you? Cause he's all covered in blood and he just makes some crack. And, I just love the idea that somebody would actually tell the story of what happened. Like they would say, Holy shit, honey, hold on. (laughs) So I, I killed so many people. I stopped and you were on that plane. I totally saved your ass. You didn't even see me do it. And just going through everything they did that day, like a normal person. And I felt like for a minute, it was going to, he was going to say, listen, you got to hear about this. Well, that first of all, first of all, that
2: scene, that scene has been done to perfection in a little movie called pineapple express where the movie ends oh, well. with them at a Denny's yeah. discussing what has happened, and also I just want to say the best part for Hold the Dark to end would be with him on the sled of the snowmobile and the guy looking back and saying, "They spared you, they spared yeah. you."
1: That that's where it should have ended. That's not bad, but I just want to just back up and defend myself real quick and say that I came up with that idea. When did Pineapple Express come out? Because I wrote uh, two thousand and nine, maybe. Okay. That's that's a little that's a little after nineteen ninety five when I actually put something <laughs> on a fucking blog where I said that this is a problem in movies and somebody needs to tell exactly what daring do they it was two thousand and eight. So well whatever. <laughs> fucking <laughs> scooping me with Pineapple Express. How dare you Pineapple Express.
2: <laughs> I gotta I gotta make Dave mad at least once with my millennial takes. <laughs> You're like well, <laughs> Pineapple Express
1: did that. Like, He's like
2: Pineapple Express. I was 85 when Pineapple Express came out.
1: <laughs> fucking trying to fucking trying to own me with a fucking with a fucking Pineapple. So James Franco is a his star-making role. They bust out to own my ass. Yeah.
2: Brutal. Do we, got, do we have any final thoughts on this? I've just I've been thinking about these masks now. am I'm, I'm, I'm really going back and. I feel like those masks are kind of the key to the whole thing and I didn't get it but
3: yeah I have to say that I I feel like the first 20 minutes were the worst part which is the worst way a movie can be structured hmm. um a, as far as your because it puts you in a bad mood for the rest of it right. um but I I to, in total I did not think it was a bad movie I thought it was an almost good movie it's just a really really poor idea to 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 put have the film be structured the way it is so that anybody who watched the first 20 minutes would be totally justified in going, no, I quit watching that shit because it was dumb yeah, no and no dark and, and, and I'm not going to have it. Um, uh, but I did actually, I, I, you know, I, I still think he's a great director and I want to see what he's doing next. And I know he, he only made it three episodes. He was supposed to direct the entire new two. season of True only
0: Detective.
3: two. He only made it two and a half. He walked out during the third one, I think. Really? And like, and he yeah. said like
2: i oh, i don't want I don't want to talk about it, which means that he had to deal with Nick Pizzolato who is clearly an asshole that guy's Notorious. sucks.
3: notoriously <laughs> he also just sucks I'm serious so he, su- su- no, he
2: sucks no he sucks, thank you so much he sucks he sucks, and like great dude, you read Thomas
1: Legatti. we've all read yep. Thomas Ligotti. <laughs> shut <laughs> the fuck like but again we're we're talking about i, I want to defend it a little bit because he's re- he repurposed it in a way that a lot of people found very pleasing. The first season, I'm talking about the first season of True Detective, not when he the mm-hmm. second season when he went full Elroy. But sure. so sure. when he was when he was stealing from from Logati, that's better than when he was stealing from Elroy. And if we're talking about just serving up things we want to see, which is creepy bodies in the woods and, you know, some some healthy cynicism about religion, it was it felt it felt kinda of fresh when it happened. Since then he's squandered a lot of that goodwill. I don't I, I don't think, I
2: don't like it I don't like when anybody casts doubt on religion at all it, it upsets me
3: i'm just telling you like find the time it's all about season two find the seth meyers uh i'm going watch active or, or fortune cookie <laughs> because again i'm serious if somebody did this to my writing and it was this effective i would quit
1: it's mm. it's brutal
0: <laughs>
3: it is it is a shanking it is a it is a is hammer
1: party that, is it safe to say that as far as who liked this movie or didn't the hierarchy is um, Jordan liked it the least, Osborne's and the, the porridge that's just right as far as the almost good. And I liked it a little bit more than both of you guys. What, that's so? fair. That's that fair. sounds right. That sounds right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. I put it firmly in. I think it's good. I think, I think it's good. Um, I watched it in the middle of the night, though. I don't know about mm-hmm. you guys. Did you guys mm-hmm. watch it in the daytime? I
2: did. Uh, I watched it. uh, No, at night. I watched it at night. Yeah.
3: Well, I watched the first 20 minutes at night and then my girlfriend tapped out. So I finished
1: it today. so, Oh, you um, watched it in two
2: parts. Dude. Dude. Did I, did I break an Uh almost
1: good rule? Uh Oh, no, no, there's no rule. Osborne has not, he's not even watched movies before and reviewed them. So (laughs) so, don't worry about two parts.
2: What are you talking about? I've watched every movie that we've talked about on this podcast. Are fucking kidding lies, me, dude? Lies. Lies. Black Klansman, uh, by the way, basura. Bad. Not good. Uh,
1: that's what they say. You... Dog shit. Yeah. Fucking dog uh, shit. It, I wish it was better. Yeah, uh, that's another story uh, for another time. Did I ever tell you guys, well, I didn't, probably didn't tell Jordan because I just met him, but did I ever tell you uh, about when I went to see Mystic River, speaking of um, identifying the body moments? No, you guys remember that, right? Yeah. Is yeah. that I my know. son in there? <laughs> well, even, well, yeah. She, but she, he gets to identify the body later. Um, but I went to see. I went to a wedding in Florida, and on the way back, we went to the theater in um, uh, in the in the airport. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that, where you have you actually have theaters and airports in Florida. It's an amazing idea. No. Huh? Because when you when you're waiting for a plane, you have hours to kill. So to have a theater there is a brilliant idea. Yeah. So anyway, me and my buddy Jerry, we go in to see uh, Mystic River and we got the giggles, you know, because we just were at a wedding. And it came to that moment where uh, the, the, is that my daughter in there? And my friend Jerry was like, what if he said, is that my sandwich in there? He like whispers it to me. <laughs> yeah. So we start getting the giggles, you know, and we're like, is that my sandwich in there? And, we, and people are getting pissed at us. We finally like pull it together. And it goes to the identifying the body in the morgue moment. <laughs> and he's standing over, and I'm thinking, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it. And then the, Sean Penn's like, yes, that's my daughter. But, of course, we're like, yes, that's my family. We <laughs> fucking lose our shit. We fucking lose our shit. And we're, you know, we're sunburned and like hung over, and everybody's so mad at us. Because that movie was – audiences loved that movie. Yeah. And we certainly, we certainly spoiled it. Anyway, yeah. I just wanted to share that. Well, I think
2: Mystic River was not that good.
1: So. It was fine. Mm. It was fine. For the moment, for the Clint, East, Clint Eastwood, Clint gives you one shitty movie and one decent. What that was, was that one, uh, that
2: other Dennis Lehane movie with uh, Tom Hardy? That one was really not that good either. What was that one? The Drop. The Drop. The drop. That was that was not that good.
3: I didn't see that one. It was okay. Say, in general, uh, a lot of uh, Lehane's mysteries... Uh, much like true detectives tend to really not satisfy when the, when the reveal comes and mm-hmm. the reveal of mystic river is this entire conundrum was set off. This entire mystery was set off by the police department's inability to figure out two 13 year olds killed a woman in a park.
1: Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah they're, they're not super cops. No. you're right about the, the reveals like uh, my favorite Lehane adaptation is gone, baby gone, which is that was that, was that it, it was a good should... movie. Yeah. It was a good. It movie. should be the worst one, but it, there's so many solid moments in that, but it really kind of falls apart with its like double ending. It gets yeah. Yeah, soap opera and weird. So. I, I I think a lot of a lot of well respected crime
3: writers never stick the landing, and and it does not hurt because it is way better to have the last fifth of your story be bad than the first fifth.
2: That like hold the dark. Yeah,
1: we were just talking about yeah. that. We just talked about that last episode about if, you, if the ending is good, people forget. The movie was bad, but, you know, the reverse is just it's brutal. Once you're
3: career, in a bad mood, it's,
2: bad it's
3: yeah, I don't yeah. know. Hey, I yeah, actually, right. I, have,
2: I, have a, I have a quick question that has nothing to do with anything, but it's a question for Jordan. What, um, what, what, what do you think is the worst thing you've ever written?
3: Worst thing I've ever written? Yeah. Can I count, like,
2: no, episodes th- of... I, I, I count everything that was made public. Short story novel, TV show. What's the worst piece of writing you've ever done?
3: Um the the last episode of Gotham I wrote was definitely the worst thing I've ever
2: did you know thought. it going that, into it? You were like, this is bad?
3: I knew it the entire time. I knew it from from inception. I knew it during the execution. I knew it and 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 I left the show Immediately after turning in the script, and so to be totally, well, I shouldn't say this in public, but I, I'm not exactly sure what even made it to the air, mm. Um, mm. because I was not really a part of the filming. So, wow. um, but I, but I, there was no point, and 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 you know, I wrote fourteen episodes of The Mentalist, and and that's not a show I, I would have watched, but I do think that it was better than a lot of the other shows like that, and uh, I, but. And Gotham had its moments, but no yeah, I would say the last episode of Gotham I wrote
2: why i I don't know it just it just <laughs> came to me it was I was just curious. <laughs> we were just talking about good and bad stuff, and I was like, what does he think is bad i just i I wonder that sometimes um and of course you know writers and directors will never answer this thing honestly, but I would be interested to go to like TV writers, movie writers uh directors, etc, and just be like, what do you just just real talk what do you think is the worst thing so are, that you did
1: so are you saying that is it safe to say that like a, a tv show is it's more miraculous if if the product is good than a movie That it's harder to get to get it through all those eyeballs to get a good thing on screen than it is what well, with like you know just making an indie movie
3: well then making an indie movie absolutely um but I would say, you know, the other part that's hard is that you, you know, you're, you, you have to, somebody else tells you what the beginning of your story is because the last episode ended this way. And right. you'll also have to end it in a certain way. So you're, you're, you're making one piece of a puzzle that is being made at the same time. And, and so there's a lot of constrictors to it. And also, it's just, you know, I didn't invent these TV shows, I'm fitting my ideas into them and, and, and getting pushback. It's almost cheating to say something that I, like, that was that, you know, made by committee is the worst thing I ever wrote. But you're talking about things that made public. I would say my first novel that has been read only by Jedediah Ayers and will mm-hmm. only ever be read by Jedediah mm-hmm. Ayers um, was really bad. It was really bad. Which he probably and,
2: said was good because he has really bad taste. So He does well, say it's really good, we,
3: but I take nothing, you, I take
1: no joy from that. Yeah. You could get him back because do you have a copy of his uh, his hidden first novel, Breakfast Anytime? He's, there's just a couple copies floating around. No, I don't have that. That'd be some good payback if you read that and told him he would. He'd probably put out a hit on you. <laughs>
2: Wait,
1: do you have that, Dave? I do. I got one off eBay for like forty bucks. Wow! <laughs> just to just to put it in my blackmail drawer. but yeah so we so what you're saying about so tv shows are you saying it's like playing the worst game of exquisite corpse because you have to you don't just build on what somebody's already done for the beginning of the story if you were to play that game and have to anticipate what the next person was going to do it would kind of fuck up your chance of telling an original story i guess you'd be you kind of cut off at the
3: knees. Well, it's not even yeah. an original story, really. And it's not just that you're guessing what the person is. You're literally breaking all of these stories in concert. So while I'm writing the script of my episode, the guy who's writing the episode after me is writing the outline. So we're always in conversation. And every level of it, it has corporate interference, you know, uh, and, and notes. So, you know, you have multiple rounds of that. You have your boss, who's a showrunner, who's giving you notes. It's, it's very by committee. And, um,
1: and you know, sometimes so that works out great. I've... Go ahead. So you try to do – in the middle of that, you try to do something original with what that mess is that you're given? Is that what you're, yeah, you're trying basically. to do? Yeah, basically.
3: Yeah, and, you know, I'm on a show now that is a cable show that's run by a friend of mine. And I, I – it's still – it's a serialized show, so I don't get to just do whatever I want. But, like, I was given some perimeters, and then I pitched something, and, and I'm getting something very – Weird and dark on the air that I'm I'm really proud of. So the system the system can't work, but uh, it, it doesn't. Oh, well.
1: What is this? What what's the show you're talking about?
3: It's well in the. It's only been announced as as, as being called P Town. Uh, I think the, the title is going to change. It's uh, so it's about the opiate epidemic in uh, Cape Cod, and um and, and it, it, but it's it but that's the backdrop. It's not about the opiate epidemic, which a lot of shows and things try to be, and, and I think they often become very boring. Because the opiate epidemic is boring, um, but this is a murder mystery set against the backdrop of, of the opiate epidemic. So in, in in Provincetown, then? Well, in Provincetown and below Provincetown it, it is not nearly. I'm learning all this. I'm not from that area, but like uh, my friend Rebecca Cutter, who's the showrunner, she's from that area, and, and Provincetown is pretty well to do, but uh, the rest of the Cape is is pretty trashy. So there's a lot of right, right.
1: Yeah, the uh, have you ever seen Tough Guys Don't Dance? Or no, what's book, that? Norman Mailer's book. Oh, dude, if you want a crash course in addiction and murder mysteries, no. it's a, the move the movie is a fiasco, but it's it's brilliant as far as the method that it, that it became. Um, Norman Mailer directed one movie, uh, Tough Guys Don't Dance, based on his book of the same name, and it's about a bunch of drug addicts in in Provincetown, and there's a uh, he goes to his marijuana stash one morning and he finds a severed head in there. Uh-huh. And he's like trying to figure, trying to figure out how the head got in there. Then the next day there's two heads. And that's just the beginning of it. That's how it starts. And what's great about it is it's, it doesn't resemble human speech in any way. A lot of people, my theory is that David Lynch saw it and Twin Peaks is sort of a tough guys don't dance huh. uh, perfecting the, the formula. Cause there's a real Twin Peaks vibe when you watch it, but it's, Mid-80s movie. You can find it on DVD now. Um, But it definitely talks about that that seedy underbelly of Provincetown. is definitely uh, uh, full-on display in that movie. It's good stuff. Okay, I'll check that out. Bad stuff, but it's a lot of fun. I think you get a kick out of it.
3: All right, cool. Thanks. Yeah, I'll check that out. Um, Did we
2: lose Osborne? Oh, no. I was just uh, reading a book while you guys talked.
1: Oh, oh! Listen nice. to
2: that. I got bored, so I, w- I went and looked at something. You're just
1: mad. You're just mad because I keep trying to make Red Wolf happen. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, no, it's, it's just I, I, was, I was I uh, was I was listening to you
2: guys talk. I I don't I don't know very much about uh, anything really. So I just I, I actually I feel like this might be how I do podcasts from now on. I invite two people on, and then I just like sit back and listen. <laughs> and then I occasionally uh, say something like hmm interesting
1: <laughs> go on well I, I got it, it's not an, I'm not an authority on that area I, I'm basing it on entirely one movie done by Norman Mailer who uh, by all indications was slumming when he did it so he, he does it. it's a very condescending novel about that area so I'm two layers deep of not knowing what I'm talking about I'm just excited nice. about this particular shitty 80s movie <laughs>
2: Well, all right, guys. I think that'll wrap it up.
3: Oh, yeah, Sweet. this was fun. Hey, am I your first guest? Yeah. Awesome.
2: I think you.
1: Are. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. It uh, all right. It worked. Well, right, thanks it. for having well, me. Uh, I
3: appreciate it. It was fun.
1: Yeah, it's good. To, good to meet you on the phone. And um, yeah, call, uh, let me know if you need anything else, dude. I'll be. I'll be up talking to talking to Osborne there. Hmm. What me? still there.
2: Yeah. Anytime I shut up for like three seconds, people are like, dude, are you alive? Are you okay? We worry. We Because worry. <laughs> right, I just I realize I just fucking talk all the time and then like yeah, I'm I'm quiet for two minutes. It's like Is is David David? Hello? Get the crash cart <laughs> Alright guys. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jordan. Thank you to uh yeah. why why am I I'm not gonna thank David. He's here. Thank you, you fuck. No, 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 no. Fuck David James Keaton. Fuck David James Keaton. (laughs) And thank you to Jordan. All right. Goodbye. Bye, guys. All right.
4: (laughs)